Good morning and welcome back. I'm Rick Brown. Thank you for joining us on today's Seek First podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Take a minute to subscribe to the Seek First podcast. Thanks, everybody. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day. So let's get ready. Grab your Bible, prepare your heart and mind. Let's go. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 with our message, How Do We Wage Spiritual Warfare? Just thinking about the place that we find ourselves in history right now. There is a spiritual battle raging around us. And unfortunately for many of us, we are a bit short-sighted. We see the person that is perpetrating bad things. And there's a long list, right? This is a target-rich environment, friends, right? You can point any direction and see somebody that's just... Uh, doing insane things. Hey, if you need a Bible, you forgot your Bible, uh, raise your hand. Our servants team will get one of those to you. And uh, once again, you'll be turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. After our introduction, we'll be standing for the reading of God's Word. Now, there's some realities that are going on that uh, when we think of warfare, usually we think of a, a, a physical type of warfare, right? A physical hand-to-hand. Uh, we came in and uh, on our whiteboard back in the green room, there's a, a street self-defense class that's happening here for free October 30th, and I hadn't heard anything about it. I'm asking, what is this whole deal about? And uh, having grown up on the streets and understanding those things, it's good to have a few skills, uh, but if you're uh, just, you go, I, I am non-combative, well, then you're just going to pray a lot more than everybody else, right? You're going to pray for the Lord to be your defense. I remember being at the small uh, town of my grandparents when I was eight years old. I mean, this town was so small that when it got paved roads, it was a big deal in our county. It's, they call them the West Enders. They're out at a, a town called Castleford. I would go to see my grandparents for a week or two weeks every summer, and uh, I was on the playground, eight years old, and this teenager came to the pl- playground, bored, looking for some little punk kids to pick on, and uh, his name was uh, Jody Burkhart. He was about 16, and he had just got a brand new, like, 12-inch long hunting knife, great big hunting knife. And he started talking trash to us, so we're a little smart, Alex. We start popping off to him, and, and uh, he runs me down, takes me to the ground, puts his knees on my arm, and pulls out that big hunting blade. Feels the edge of it as he's over my small little body. And then he turns it to my throat. As he puts it on my throat... He turned it backwards, but when he turned it, I couldn't tell, right? So I, I see the sharp blade, and he turned it, and on the back side of the hunting knife is a fish scaler. You know, it's serrated so that you can take the scales off the fish. And so he puts the serrated edge on my throat, and he begins to seesaw it back and forth until he draws blood. I think I'm eight years old, and my life's over from being a smart aleck on one day. And that was what the neighborhood was. Every summer I went home, I got in a scrap or a fight. They were just bored kids that loved to fight. And I would think to myself when I'm going there with my brothers, just like, man, we have to have a warfare plan for this town, <laughs> right? You're just a kid, but you want to survive the one week of summer that you have to go to my grandparents' uh, town. But as you grow older, there's threats everywhere, right? There's threats, whether it's physical violence or it's national violence. The fear right now with everything that's going on in the world You think of the Chinese missiles, those who watch the hypersonic testing that they did, blows us away because these missiles, uh, the Chinese missiles, they travel five times the speed of sound. 
which is 761 miles an hour at 59 degrees Fahrenheit because the temperature uh, affects that as far as the speed of sound. So if, if it's 59 degrees, it's 761 miles per hour times five. So these missiles travel 3,805 miles per hour. And they don't have the long arching, you know, trajectory of uh, intercontinental uh, ballistic missiles so that we can shoot them out of the air. They actually travel really close to the surface of the earth at blazing speed. That's why it's so terrifying. It caught the U.S. intelligence community by surprise. Military intelligence. It's a little bit of an oxymoron, if you know what I mean, right? They're, they're startled. They're caught by surprise. How have these things been going on? And they've been testing. They have tested hundreds of these in the span that America has tested, had nine tests. They've tested hundreds. And you hear that, and you get a little concerned about the warfare on an international level. North Korea threatening America with an EMP weapon. You know what an EMP weapon is. It's an electromagnetic pulse that if a nuclear blast happens high above the Earth, it wipes out all electronics. So since everything, your vehicle, everything you have is electronic, it just makes it all dead in the water. And this is what the very, uh, the very cultured man in North Korea threatens America with. Then there's the weaponization of the IRS with 87,000 new agents with $80 billion budget to come after mom and pop shops, though they claim that it won't be anybody under 400,000. Yeah, right. As a matter of fact, if they have any kind of social media that is conservative in nature, no doubt they'll be at the top of the list. I have two friends that are part of uh, conservative organizations, and they've been up to their eyeballs in audits recently, and that's before the 87,000 agents are turned loose. Everywhere you turn, there are threats. Don't be depressed. Don't be discouraged. Don't be terrified. We have good news because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, but we're not there yet. This is probably the most disturbing. In Washington, uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, uh, is coordinating a new body proposed by the Department of Homeland Security to focus its efforts at countering disinformation has run into a buzzsaw of opposition from members of Congress. Some have characterized the would-be disinformation governance board. Keep your ears open, that's the name of it. Disinformation governance board as a dystopian threat to free speech because that's exactly what it is. The new working group was announced with little fanfare last week and almost immediately generated an intense reaction for lawmakers. This information is several months old. For lawmakers, primarily Republicans, who accused the agency of attempting to stifle free speech, free expression, excuse me. A group of Republican lawmakers led by Representative James Comer, the senior Republican on the House Oversight and Reform Committee, attacked the group in a letter that said, in part, the creation of the Disinformation Governance Board appears to double down on this administration's continued abuse of taxpayer dollars and the federal government's powers to attack Americans who disagree with its policies, smearing them as extremists and perpetrators of mis- dis and malinformation. Anything that veers from the governmental propaganda is dis, mis, or malinformation. We discovered that through COVID, right? And uh, you know the difference between a conspiracy theory and reality? About six months. 
right? They say it's a conspiracy theory. Six months later, it's confirmed that it's a reality. Even in our own neck of the woods, the threat as we are standing for parental rights as school boards here in Ventura County, specifically in the Conejo uh, Unified School District, this last Tuesday, Steve Snyder, who is a parent standing up for his daughter's rights, got together with Gays Against Groomers. Now, the gay movement that is a part of 250,000 gay people that are standing up for children's rights. Think of this. It blew up, and they've had 1.7 million views since Tuesday on this. It's hit national news. The, le the left and their propaganda, they're in tears because of this thing, what happened. And I, I couldn't resist. you got to watch this little two-minute clip of a guy that is a part of a gay organization, but he's standing up for children's rights and parents' rights not to groom them into this bizarre sexuality. Check this out. Good evening. My name is Mario Presents, and I'm here as a representative from Gays Against Groomers Coalition with over 250,000 followers across social media and as the uncle of two students in your district. It has come to our attention that the district intends to teach transgenderism to children under the age of 10 without parental consent. If I were to teach your child about my sexuality without your consent or involvement, I'd be arrested. But when the school district does it, it's education. Districts are teaching transgenderism when they should be teaching science, math, and language. Instead, teachers are hiding student pronouns from their parents under the guise of gender affirmation. Can you imagine the uproar if schools were evangelizing or baptizing children without parental consent? Isn't that sort of what you're doing? You don't tuck these children in at night, you don't teach them to stand up to bullies, you don't pay their medical bills, and you certainly don't hold their hands in the hospital. These parents do. Simple truths based in science need to be upheld for our society to flourish. The gross indoctrination we're seeing is creating a lifetime of medication and hormones because you can't simply pause puberty. Men cannot become women, and sex chromosomes are encoded into the fabric of our DNA. Simply affirming a teenager's gender is akin to affirming anorexia. Both are body dysmorphic disorders, yet we don't teach the starving teenagers how to binge and purge or affirm that they are indeed overweight. However, school districts, including yours, seem to have no issue secretly teaching girls that they can be boys because they feel uncomfortable in their bodies. A grown adult woman can't get a hysterectomy without extensive medical forms and doctor's visits. But Dr. Safir over the hill in Sherman Oaks is willing to do top and bottom surgery, sterilizing children for life. Parents must be a part of the education process when teaching sexuality to students, and it definitely doesn't need to happen under the age of 10 years old. Now, when you're standing with peop people that are, and just since all of this is happening, the gays against groomers are now being defunded by PayPal and uh, Venmo. So they're taking away their ability to exchange money digitally through their accounts because they're making a stand for these issues. It goes from the school board into the bank room or the business office of corporate America to stand for these things. Do you think we are in an incredible battle? We most certainly are. Not only for our children, but for our nation. And so we want to look at Paul the Apostle, who was stalked, talking to a group of people that lived in a very corrupt culture. Some say the most corrupt culture in all the Mediterranean. And Paul came in with a, the boldness 
to be a real soldier for Christ and to stand with love and truth against ideology that is exalting itself against the knowledge of God. And so we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's read the first six verses. And uh, we're going to look at how to wage a spiritual warfare. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am... Uh, present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Father, we ask now that by your spirit and your grace that you would touch our hearts, Lord Jesus. Open our eyes that we may see wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. First thing we want to look at is a soldier's attitude. Realize once again we're talking about spiritual warfare, not physical violence. So in this realm of the spirit, which we're in this spiritual battle, Jesus, when he confronted the corrupt spiritual leadership in Jerusalem in his day, he said, your father is the devil. He's a murderer and he's a liar. And Jesus called it out. Now, there are people in, in, in churches across America that just want to say, let's just have a group hug and sing Kumbaya and give a positive message and we just all love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself and can't we all just get along? Well, Jesus, who led the way as an example, used truth in love to unmask an ungodliness and an ideology and a theology that was keeping people in bondage and darkness. He turned on the light and he spoke truth in love. Now, many people, even if you speak the truth in love, are going to hate that truth. As we look at a message that is really carved out from Paul the Apostle making a strong defense. The Corinthians had gotten sideways with them. These corrupt teachers had come in to lead them astray. And, and Paul is in the midst of a spiritual battle of his own. He's wanting God's grace to do a work in this congregation and the hearts of the brothers and sisters in Christ in Corinth. And so he begins, as we see, a soldier's attitude, for he says, I, Paul, myself, in verse 1, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. He says, you know, I'm, I'm pleading with you guys. Now the thing that he says is that in the meekness and gentleness of Christ, he's approaching them. And I must confess, oftentimes I want to be bold for truth, but I don't always do it in the meekest and the most gentle way. Sometimes like I'm, I'm a bull in a china closet. And I said the right thing, but I said it in the wrong way. I'm sure you guys don't ever have that difficulty, but I have that difficulty. And so the Bible says to share the truth in love that you might be able to grow up into all things. And I'm like, yeah, let's tell the truth. <laughs> now, the truth without love is brutality. 
okay? And, and the love without truth is hypocrisy. And so you have to bring those two things together. I love in the Proverbs, it says, mercy and truth have kissed. Like it's this picture of these two things coming together. The truth and mercy, compassion, love and mercy have come, and come together. Meekness is power and authority under control. The best likeness of the word meekness is not usually you hear of somebody, they're so, that's such a meek person. And it somehow got this effeminate connotation. Meekness is not femininity in a man or something. It basically is power under control. The classical Greek example that fits best is a powerful horse that is tamed or trained. It is power under control instead of a out-of-control horse. And so Paul says, I'm coming to you guys with meekness, power and authority under control and gentleness. I want to be gentle with you. I want to talk this through. And he says, I'm actually pleading with you. He says again in verse 2, I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now, there's an observation that the Corinthians had about Paul the Apostle, about his physical demeanor and his speech. When Paul was present with them, it appears that he's this, this very uh, weak, sickly-looking guy that's not a very good speaker. That's their observation. And, but he writes very weighty letters. You're going to hear about it in a second again. Like, he writes these bold letters, and when you read this letter, you're like, boy, this guy's a spiritual giant, and he shows up, and he's just this little, little small guy that doesn't preach you know, very smoothly. His power is in the Holy Spirit. For he said in verse 1, In presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold toward you. So he would write bold letters, but he physically didn't have a very large presence. But notice this. There is, in the attitude, there is a humble, gentle confidence and boldness in a soldier for God. So I want to put those things together in my own heart, and I find myself praying them even over the course of these last couple of years because I realize oftentimes I'm not in control. I just get angry, and I want to just attack things. And the Lord's like, no, be meek like Jesus, power under control. Be gentle, try to interact in a gentle way, but have confidence and boldness that when it comes to a place, and Paul says this, he said, I'm coming to town. <laughs> There's a new sheriff coming to town. I'm coming to town, and I am going to be bold with some of those who are causing problems in the church. He said, you want to see boldness? It's coming to town. And it's a confidence. It's not an arrogance. Paul, in his attitude, he has a good balance of all these things in this package of Christian godly maturity to be a soldier in the spiritual battle that he is. And it takes humility, and it takes gentleness, it takes confidence, and it takes boldness. And it's not about your physical largeness or your physical presence or your physical ability to speak well. It's about the other qualities in your life. You might say, hey, you know, I'm not a... Uh, I'm not, I don't present well to people. That's not the issue. The issue is if you have Jesus living in you and you are confident, you will be humble and gentle, but there's a time that you are, you are able to rebuke. You're able to correct. Number two, a soldier's advantage is he realizes that he's living in two different realms. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. Notice, this is what, in this spiritual warfare that takes place in our life, in the realm of the Spirit, that we 
Our weapons are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So Paul the Apostle saw his ministry in the realm of the Spirit. He said, though we walk in the flesh, this simply means I have a physical body, but there's a spiritual dynamic in the Holy Spirit in the authority that Jesus gives us, he said the physical and the spiritual are two different realms. And I'm not trying to fight in the physical. I'm not trying to be physically aggressive. I'm not buying physical weapons, so to speak. I'm going to fight this battle and wage this battle. And so how do we do that? How do we wage spiritual warfare? Now we know that as we uh, deal with things, the very first piece of armor that the Lord gives us for a soldier in Ephesians chapter 6 is the belt of truth. The truth attacks the lies that are being propagated. That's why you have to have a ministry of governance from Homeland Security to squish dissent that would speak truth, right? We're gonna fine you, we're gonna put you in jail. This is what they do in communist China. This is what they do in Russia. Russia, you know, if you speak out against Vladimir Putin, it just within 30 days, it seems like you get poisoned and you die. It just, it just happens. These things are stories that happen on a consistent basis. And um, so, but that's in the realm of the physical. But how do we deal with casting down arguments? Now, first of all, you must know what God's word has to say about issues if you're going to speak authoritative right. It, it's not your authority, it's God's word. God says this. You know, Billy Graham is famous throughout 60 years of ministry. It says, the Bible says. Well, there are a lot of Christians today that don't even believe the Bible. They believe parts of the Bible. They believe the parts they like. Right? It's kind of like going to a smorgasbord. I'll take the cake. Not take the pie, but no veggies for me. <laughs> I don't want anything that's good for me. And so the issue is a lack of authority. Do you know that in a survey recently taken, that only 39% of evangelical pastors in America have a Christian worldview? Let's just round it off. Only 40%, 60% of evangelical pastors and ministers do not have a Christian worldview. How'd they get into ministry? Well, they got into ministry with the 40% that they believed. Or excuse me, you know, the, the, uh, the certain elements that they've picked out. And I've met lots of people in ministry. Some of them you question if they're born again. I was having lunch with a pastor and he was an assistant to the new senior pastor that came. And this was, this was a mainline denominational church, so it wasn't an evangelical church. But still, the pastor came in and my friend who I had gotten to know, he said, I put in for a transfer with our denomination. I said, why? He goes, well, how do you, how do you serve under the senior pastor that's not even born again? He doesn't even, he, he doesn't even explain the gospel. He thinks, you know, being a Christian is something about good works or something. He's like, I got to be somewhere where the leader of the church is born again. You think that's an anomaly? No, it's not. There are a lot of people in ministry that do not hold a Christian worldview. So the 39%, uh, so <laughs> only 39% bring that Christian worldview into the pulpit on Sunday mornings. Because they're afraid if they actually espouse the Christian worldview, their churches will empty. 
I found the opposite is true. People are hungry for truth. They recognize the truth. So you want to be a mean, lean preaching machine and let the chips fall wherever they may. If they come back, praise God. And if they don't, blessed subtractions. Let them go. Right? <laughs> and so the reality is, is that Paul the Apostle in this spiritual warfare in the realm of the Spirit, he says, I'm going to cast down these arguments. Why do we attack these things that are, these, these things are exalting themselves. The issue of gender. God says he has created us in his image, male and female. So if they say something different, they are basically exalting themselves in their knowledge above that of God. So what is my job? To cast that into the mud, to cast that into the dirt, to say that's a lie, to say that's not true. So these things are what gets me in so much trouble. <laughs> Just like even the gay, gays against groomers are getting taken, I mean, PayPal's taken away their Venmo, their ability to exchange finances. Unbelievable. So we want to uh, pull down strongholds. Now, by the way, what is a stronghold? If you're going to pull down a stronghold, maybe some of us here tonight have some strongholds in our life that spiritually God wants to pull down. A stronghold is a belief that you believe in your heart and your mind that you're committed to this belief that is against the will of God. Your mindset has grabbed onto something that is a stronghold because it is in direct opposition to what God says about that issue. And so pulling down those strongholds is when I let go of that and turn away from that thought that kept me in bondage, and I now want to step into the realm of believing what God says of me. This happened for Adam and Eve, right, in the garden. Eve's tempted, and the Lord said, hey, you can eat of all these trees, just don't eat of that one tree. The devil comes to Eve and says, hath God said, he casts doubt. And the stronghold for Eve in that moment was that God was holding out on her. God knew there was something good that she was going to enjoy, and he was holding out on her. And when she saw that it was good to make one wise, good for food, and pleasant to the eyes, the three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, these are the three things that trip us up all the time. I want things with my eyes, right? My body has appetites. I want to serve my body in ways that don't, does not please God. And then the pride of life is simply saying, you know what? I want what I want, and I deserve what I want because I'm the most important person in the universe. 